0: Welcome back. We're the Tough Cut Podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Alex. What up? I'm Jake. And this is part two of our sequel showdown series. So if you haven't listened to the first one, go back and check it out.
1: Had some great discussions there. This is a show where we make a themed bracket, pick some of our favorite movies and put them head to head until only one remains and the rest have been cut our first bracket like matt said is sequel showdown jake you want to talk about it
2: so yeah we were talking about themes going ever going head head to head and we want to do something where we compare sequels you know whatever a film is it could be the spiritual successor it could be like a full like just it has a two in the name Ooh, sequel you know? anything
0: that isn't the first in a series
2: okay yeah maybe what if i'm the first in a series
0: nope <laughs> No, you're right. <laughs> this is a no end with no improv on this podcast.
2: <laughs> Only when it comes to me. Anytime Matthew hears anything I say, he's going to be like, no. So
0: matchups for today, we've got Shrek 2 versus Evil Dead 2. Godfather Part 2 versus Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Hey, just want to throw a heads up to maybe a little content warning for a couple of the movies in this show, particularly Evil Dead 2 um, contains some scenes of fairly graphic violence and gore. So if you're at all squeamish, beware for that when we get to it. And maybe if you don't like murder, um, there's some murder in
1: uh, Shrek 2. All of these movies, I think, actually. All of these movies have (laughs) a a decent amount of violence. But specifically, Godfather Part 2 has... uh, some instances of domestic violence, so be aware of that. Alex, do you want to take it away with Shrek 2? Yeah. I picked Shrek 2. It's a wonderful movie, released in 2004, directed by Andrew Adamson, Kelly Asbury, and Conrad Vernon. This movie is the continuation of the first Shrek movie. Shrek and Fiona have gotten married, they finish their honeymoon, they get home, and then they have to go to Far, Far Away, where Fiona grew up, meet her parents, and get the royal blessing from the father. But things go awry when they discover she married an ogre.
2: Spoiler, sorry, spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah, we, we forgot that. <laughs> But Guys, I'm so sorry. Spoiler oh, yeah, warning. Spoiler warning. Spoilers for all of
1: these movies. Uh, if you haven't seen Shrek 2, please stop the podcast now and watch the full movie. It really is a great watch.
2: I fully thought you were going to tell our viewers, stop listening to this podcast. I don't want your viewership anymore. Also, <laughs> yeah. So I'll,
1: I'll get into why I picked Shrek 2 as one of my movies. It's very nostalgic for me. I have a very close place in my heart for this movie. Um, and that's initially why I picked it. But, going back and re-watching it, oh man, what a funny movie. I think it really lives up to its definition as a sequel, uh, so I'm excited to get into it. So, uh, yeah, what did you guys think about Shrek 2, the movie?
2: Well, this, this like, for me, like, again, I, I owned the the DVD, or I, I don't even, no, it wasn't VHS at that point. I owned the was, DVD. You, yeah. I remember... <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember because like the the extras like was something that was like very like the far far. There was away the little Idol. singing competition, exactly, yeah, with Simon yeah. Cowell for some reason. Like, dude, like, and it just it immediately brought me back. And so few films when you're a kid like immediately bring you back to that headspace. Um, I I think there are a handful, and that hey, that could be a theme for another day. But this there's so few films where it's like I watched this, I immediately got transported back to pushing buttons on my like. DVD, whatever, to vote for the wolf to try to win. You know what I mean? Like it's it's <laughs> that maybe isn't the movie like an ahead of time, but like, yeah, it was fantastic. Also, this is just like one of the best films of like satire ever. It's just like, wow, it's fantastic. So but, yeah, those good. those are my initial like really things I noticed. Being transported, that's like a hell of a power.
0: Yeah. So uh jumping right in off the tail of that, I also have a fairly strong childhood connection to this movie. Probably not as strong as you two. Very fond memories though. And I enjoyed watching it again. Uh, I'll say the thing that really stuck out to me was how like trimmed of fat this movie is in a lot of ways. Um, the runtime is real snappy and like it gets right into the plot real quick moves right through it however it it, like simultaneously is just so effective at introducing you to literally an entirely new place yeah that feels so at home for the rest of the Shrek series yeah it was a lot of fun I think some of the pop culture references have not stood the test of time as well but we can get into that a little more later there's
2: some issues yeah yeah yeah,
0: for sure and I guess I'll pick it up with uh, from there yeah yeah Right into Evil Dead 2. So, Evil Dead 2 was released in 1987, directed by the BMOC, the big man of camp, Sam Raimi. Essentially, it follows the well, I guess a clarification this is a legendary requel which is a reboot sequel they didn't own the rights to the first movie so they had to reprise it in the first six minutes of Evil Dead 2 uh, they are fantastic six minutes <laughs> and they tell you all you need to know about the plot of the first one it is a cult hit that follows our lead Ash Williams played by the legendary chin himself Bruce Campbell as he tries to survive the night and dispel the threat of the Evil Deadites um, which are you know these demon zombie creatures it's very unclear they sort of their own thing Um, they're highly (laughs) sarcastic incredibly funny (laughs) to watch and these deadites have been unleashed upon the world uh through a a book bound in human flesh written in blood very evil um fantastic movie there's (laughs) truly not much else to the plot other than that so funny
2: i I need to sorry i need to cut you off because i need to give the viewers a little insight. Matthew took two hours writing that synopsis. in real time. <laughs> I, not two
0: hours, but it was like, it was like 15 minutes. Um, I, I, the, the word choice had to be perfect. I've got to call out uh, Bruce Campbell's chin. I've got to call it a requel. You know, I've got to hit all these points that felt important. Sure. Sure.
2: It was, it was a perfect, like we watch each other like on a separate, like while we we're recording this also. And like he performed that, uh, and uh, just kudos to you. Uh, it's, it won't give you points in the bracket, but it will give you points in my friendship.
1: It truly is a shame that we're recording these as podcasts and not a visual medium because Matt is so expressive. And you can hear it a little bit in his voice, but to see his his wonderful hands gesticulating, his smile curling, it it truly is a sight to behold.
0: And uh, right in line with that, jumping into why I chose Evil Dead 2, I think it is just such an one of absolutely fantastic movie. It is so funny, such a great blend of horror and comedy, but what it meant for like eighties horror and not only that, but what it meant for the evil dead franchise, like this is what put like Sam Raimi on the map in so many ways. Mm Mm-hmm in terms of, like, how he exists tonally, what Army of Darkness looks like, what Ash vs. Evil Dead, the, like, campiness of the Spider-Man, the Raimi Spider-Man movies, like, that all dates back to this one. And I think that if you're looking at how one movie, you know, relates to its successors, I think there's, there's nothing better to highlight than Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2. Dude,
2: I mean, Sam Raimi's just, in general, is just, like, a wild, like... He did Spider-Man Two. Also, easily could have been on this list. A very great like An sequel, excellent literally.
1: movie. It was very much a contender. Truly, what were your guys' opinions? I'm I'm happy to give my thought. Go for it. So, as uh, the Vanilla Boy, staying true to my name in more ways than one, uh, I also am a terrible scaredy cat uh, and generally <laughs> cannot stand horror movies. Um, but this one was very fun. It was a good ride. Uh, I think. The campiness and the like joy that's in all of the horror scenes really was fun for me to watch. I had never seen it before, but I had somehow seen a lot of clips from this movie, so I actually recognized a lot of it, uh, which surprised me because I had never heard the name before. So to Hmm. you know recognize parts of it was very fun for me.
2: I wonder how people ran because I I do think this film exists in the zeitgeist more than like people think it does. But I wonder, like, yeah, they don't they'll, they'll hear Evil Dead and think of it. Like, they probably just see Bruce Campbell or a bunch of, like, spooky things or spooky, silly, like, images. Like, that dancing scene, like, with his, like, pretend girlfriend. I love the first six minutes of this film. Holy shit. Like, you were talking about just, like, getting into our comparison. like Sure. Yeah, we can operate into it. You were talking about how, like shrek 2 was snappy getting right into it but like evil dead was also right into it like all all of a sudden he goes into the the cabin you're like wait what the fuck why like if you saw the first one you're like why is why is he here again what's going on but then they're like and then she's dancing and like it's fantastic i had like i literally wrote in my first like review of notes where i'm just like whatever i'm just like god this is so fun and like I think they both start so fun.
1: What's What both these movies do so well is that they have a lot of very strong sequences, right? Because you have that like dancing sequence that jumps into like she's attacking him and then he's got the, then it gets into the chainsaw and like all that stuff, which is so good. And Shrek 2 is the exact same. Head
0: in the vice clamp.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he just buried his girlfriend right away, <laughs> no problem, seven minutes in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, you can't make that shit up. <laughs>
1: But the sequences in these movies I think are so, so good because like if you think about Shrek 2, even the opening, that like honeymoon montage that they have yeah, is so, so good. And it what it does so well is it gives viewers in Shrek 2 the exact impression of what this movie is going to be because every single one of those montages is, is referential in some way is like a pop culture is something the one that sticks out to me the most is like the ring uh, spiraling down onto Fiona's finger and then it lights up to say I love you in the same way that it does in Lord of the Rings yeah I love these movies I think they are such an interesting matchup something I want to take right off the bat
0: because I think you know we can get into themes we can get into like comparisons of the actual filmmaking etc but something I think is really really fascinating is the way both of these movies exist in their franchises Mm. I think even Evil Dead playing its role in what it establishes tonally and thematically going into Army of Darkness and Ash vs. Evil Dead is so instrumental. Like Army of Darkness is more is like a comedy with some horror elements, arguably maybe an action comedy. Even it gets its roots in comedy and like how Bruce Campbell plays Ash from Evil Dead 2 in the same way, all future installments of the eh. Wow, the Freck franchise.
2: The Freck franchise. <laughs> the Shrek
0: franchise take far far away and that becomes like the key locale for all future installments in the uh, the I I am going to keep calling it the Freck franchise.
2: Freck. And i <laughs> rebrand, rebrand, rebrand.
0: And I think like that's a really interesting relationship that both of these movies play such an integral role to charting out what future installments in their series look like. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So kind of like bouncing off of that, like something that I thought was amazing. It's not just like where they exist in their series, but like the deconstruction of their own series in a way, like, yeah. these, like not even just deconstruction, because again, Shrek 2 is amazing satire, but like Evil Dead 2 is also Also, just horror is a very underrated genre. And I think it can like you can have roots in like comedy and have roots in action and it's still be a horror film. Um, But they both deconstructed and both like peeled away a bunch of like what it could have been an easy direction they could have gone. And they both now exist in cult status, which is something I really thought was going to be yeah. like, super interesting to talk about. We're like, I,
0: I, I don't know if I would go as far to call
1: Shrek. Like, I think that got pretty heavily into the cultural zeitgeist. It gets knocked because people in the same way that people knock horror, people knock animation and they say like, That's Oh, fair. that was a kid's movie. And so I think now people go back and they watch Shrek two, And they're like, wait, this fucking slaps. I think what Shrek 2 does so well that really gets overlooked especially in an animation sequel is the jokes in Shrek 2 are not referential to Shrek. I think watching it again, I only noticed one time where a joke specifically was because oh, they said this in the first Shrek. And the only time that I noticed it was in that like final sequence when they're storming the castle and they launch a cannonball into Mongo's chest and the gumball drops off. Gingy goes, not the gumdrop buttons. That was the only joke I think that referenced the first movie. And so like to have a sequel, that's a comedy, like a kid's comedy and not have it just repeat the jokes in the opposite way that like home alone does right. Where home mm-hmm. alone was the same movie. Shrek 2 is, is a completely different movie. It innovates so completely on so the formula yeah. of the original. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's really well done, which is so hard for a comedy to do. I truly love it.
2: Whereas Sam Raimi was just like, fuck you guys. I'm going to create the wackiest shit because you screwed me over. Like the energies were so kind of different but like a, a similar result which I, I just I just think is fantastic
0: I think it is my lighthearted relationship with Evil Dead 2 that made me think of like I literally had the entire time watching that movie had like the biggest smile on my face and like laughed my ass off <laughs> at it I think it is a terrifically funny movie there was somewhere this point was <laughs> going and then I got distracted
2: All right, you're, you were about to talk about the Freck franchise you're about to <laughs>
1: yeah, the um Um, I I totally go what you're saying. And this is coming from the guy who generally hates horror. Like the scene of the girlfriend's head clamped onto his hand and he's like shaking it around, like smashing (laughs) it into things. Like that's such a fun, funny sequence. And then for that to then build into his own hand, trying to kill him.
2: Physical comedy. Who could do that besides Bruce Campbell? That was just, wow. It's incredible. He's so, so funny. Kind of going back on a point, kind of like talking about cult status and stuff like that. And also, this may be like maybe a little meta, but like Shrek now kind of is the brunt of a lot of people's like jokes or whatever, or at least it used to be like this like meme format and stuff. And I think that's why also I think it exists in this like kind of cult status where it's like when people hear Shrek, they don't just think of these movies anymore. They think of everything else like that has existed, like the Shrek is love, you know,
1: all the Shrek is love, Shrek is life.
2: Yeah. Like, and even, even more like people really idolize this and it kind of a similar way where like people like The Office is the best TV show, you know, kind of that kind of that. But for me, understanding that horror is made to like, you know, it, invoke this involuntary response and like have this, like you can have fun. The genre isn't like insult, not insulted, because I don't think Shrek 2 like the, or the Shrek mythos insults it, but I think it's a more healthy trend of cult status
0: Yeah, I think that's rather than being like taken by the Internet and it's turned into like this weird outlet for fan content. You know, it's the similar thing that happened to Sonic, I think, happened to Shrek in some sense of like you just like start making fan
1: animations in weird ways, like strange fan games, etc. I think that's tough to say because that I don't think is on the movie. I think that's on the time that the movie existed. in. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's a critique necessarily, at least I'm not on my end. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I think something that I want to get into is characters. Because they handle their characters in very different ways, Evil Dead Two, being like this horror cult classic, takes these characters and they're caricatures of like classic horror characters, right? And I think that's like that's an interesting writing like portrayal of these characters. But I think Shrek Two, the way that it handles its characters, is very different. And maybe it's the fact that the movie has like a theme and a message. Is is that to say
0: there's not like a message to does Evil Dead, Evil Dead Is, have a message?
2: Yeah, it's sometimes you have to dance like nobody's watching. I think.
0: <laughs> I I mean, I think that there's there's also like a major consistent theming of futility as like a huge piece of Evil Dead as a franchise. It echoes through the first one that all of Ash's friends end up you know dead turned into deadites pursuing him trying to kill him he's the only one that survives and it's very reluctantly so that gets carried through into the second movie and amped up that ash becomes a hero that can literally save nobody (laughs) that it's an exercise in futility okay i think that that is like a a huge piece of
1: it
2: futility and fertility because he looks good that partially is on me
1: for not like being very familiar with the evil dead franchise sure
2: And it's also, I think, just discrediting horror in general. Like, I I think, you know, it's easier for it to be like, oh, I know the theme of this animated movie rather than like, oh, I can pick a theme from this stupid, like, uh, like literally wearing it on its sleeve camp horror film. But that's just something a lot of people fall into as a trap.
1: Well, but I think I think in some sense, horror movies are all about futility because it's running away from a monster that never stops coming after you, right? And that's most horror movies. Um, and I, granted, I think I think the Evil Dead franchise, you know, I guess Evil Dead Two, like specifically, like punches that. But I don't know. I think that that is a there that is a fair criticism. Sure,
2: I will say giving Shrek Two credit, like the way just talking about characters going back to that, like it just does so much to introduce characters that are mainstays and like introduce a world. Much better. We're like Evil Dead. Like it. it you, we're introduced, but we don't really like get rules. We're just kind of like, hey, yeah, I don't give a shit about you. Kind of a deal, like for the viewers, but in a fun way. Um, where Shrek Two like really like it introduces some really amazing and cool characters and does it pretty tastefully.
1: Yeah.
0: Something else I want to throw in about Shrek Two. Very much, I think, something you were working on getting at, um, as we kept interrupting you, Alex. <laughs> is that there is obviously this like background theme of self-acceptance that plays into all very prevalently in all of the Shrek movies. Mm -hmm. And I think what Shrek 2 does in terms of taking that theme, amplifying it, and then, continuing to find ways to recontextualize it into future entries, that thread finds itself dating back to how Shrek 2 handles it. Right. Which is just, you know, I think really, really cool.
1: I think, yeah, I think Shrek 2 does a really fascinating job of evolving the relationship between Shrek and Fiona in that you see in the first one, it's them falling in love, learning like, hey, I can fall in love with this person. And in the second one, it's we've fallen in love Now, what does that mean? What am I, what am I willing to do for our relationship? Right. And they're both willing to change everything. And I think it's, it's, done really beautifully and really tastefully and then you also get these dynamics of like what is family what does it mean to be family with someone with like Fiona and her dad wants the best for her but he doesn't see that Shrek is the best for her it, but then it's ironic that like he is like so against Shrek when he is the frog prince which is like beautifully hinted throughout the movie like once you know that it's there there's like tapestries of it's like, like
2: almost over the head I like but if you don't know it you don't see it <laughs> there's like lily pads everywhere yeah no and especially Especially as a kid like you're like whoa but it's it's, it's so, so well funny. done i also
1: want to point out uh in shrek 2 they take a huge 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 risk i don't know if either of you guys noticed it during the scene where um shrek yeah
2: full frontal shrek it's crazy you're closer than you think
1: uh when they're stealing the potion from the fairy godmother's factory and puss in boots is climbing up that tower of potions you see puss's butthole wait what it, it has a butthole cut it's 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 what cats want it to be it's not a cut like if you watch that scene there's part where he leaps up onto the next shelf and it like is from below the cat has a butthole and i am not joking i am looking this up uh and that's a huge risk for a kid's animated movie to take
2: this is we're now going to spend the next hour talking about cats buttholes <laughs> oh no
0: um, yeah, don't Google <laughs> Puss in Boots butthole Oh
1: god
2: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: Google, you Google. No, Matt, there definitely is not You know, discourse on this On the internet that you should look up Yeah, but now there will be If you look up the scene itself Where they break into the factory You'll see Puss's butthole
2: Yeah, but make sure you put butthole in your search Otherwise Maybe maybe if we're going to search, do incognito
1: mode <laughs> Cool. So I am temporarily scarred
0: um, from the quick Google search that I just made. So I'm going to transition the conversation away
1: from cat butthole. (laughs) And I don't exactly know where I'm taking it to. Let's talk about... um well, OK, what do you guys think is the most iconic scene from Evil Dead 2?
0: What I will say in terms of like favorite scenes or favorite sequences, one of the most significant is definitely Ash's fight with his hand. Yeah, I think it is just such there are so many like little tiny, incredible jokes like the um, fact that I, when he traps, he's cut the hand off and he traps it. The first book put onto the stack is Farewell to Arms. Yeah, is funny is sh- like that's so funny so it's so funny. perfect the fact that the scene in and of itself is a reference to a short film about the hamburger helper hand yeah uh, trying to kill people <laughs> is also amazing like there are so many great aspects in that sequence both in the sense of like you get some of these pieces of horror your own body is trying to kill you there's the body horror element of it like morphing grotesquely with practical effects by
1: the way mm-hmm. uh, very well done very well done
0: and then having to like rev the chainsaw with your teeth as you then saw off your own hand. That is so rad. Oh my God, as blood just sprays all over. It's a fantastic scene.
2: And we're talking about Shrek 2, right? Um, <laughs> there's a
0: reason that that is one of the scenes. They technically reprise it in Army of Darkness, yeah. but they reshoot it to make it shorter. Yeah.
2: It's Which is a little odd. I, I love, ridiculous.
0: The, the other scene I just want to throw out, just because of like the cool factor of it, it's so fun, is the building of the chainsaw arm. Yeah and the sawing yeah. off of the shotgun into the groovy at like, I think it's like like one hour and seven minutes into the movie. That oh, is so iconic to evil dead. Yeah. Like that yeah. sets up like him and his boomstick. That is yeah. just, that is Ash Williams <laughs> for the rest of forever. After that moment, like,
2: Oh, I really, I I don't know this, but if Bruce Campbell just said groovy or if it was, like, actual Sam Raimi wrote that, (laughs) I I really just want to believe that motherfucker went groovy and that's how he felt. And, like, that's fantastic. One of my also favorite scenes, it's not, like, super, super iconic, but, like, the dancing girlfriend. It's just so, it's so reminiscent of, like, House and, like, all that. And, like, I just think it's, it's so fun. It's It literally slays me every time.
0: I think... Something I want to jump into by contrast in talking about Shrek 2 is I think Shrek 2's ending sequence is one of the best ever. It's like such an amazing climax.
1: This is why I started the conversation, because what I, I think the sequences in Evil Dead 2 are really fantastic. But I think one of Shrek 2's greatest strengths is how it builds because Shrek 2 has a lot of really good sequences right off the bat the montage of the honeymoon there's them arriving in far far away and that like beautiful dialogue moment of like bouncing back and forth is really smart there's the dinner there's them going through the factory then it all builds to without a doubt the best sequence in the movie, and it's so so good. And I think for me that's such points for Shrek Two in terms of like the way that it builds that final sequence for Shrek Two is just mwah, so good.
2: Yeah,
0: very much a chef's kiss. I think that something we 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 need to talk about a little bit more these movies as sequels. As
2: as I was kind of talking about, like I think they're just. As sequels, like they both challenge different things in each other. Like with Shrek 2, you're, you're clearly having more fun. You're leaning more into satire. Like you're doing whatever. Like you, they're just having more fun here and they're building a
0: world. Having more fun is subjective because I think uh, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi
2: had a I'm great time. Saying, <laughs> so I'm not saying in comparison with Evil, that I'm saying, like, as it exists in their sequel. Like they're
0: compared to Shrek and Shrek Two, yeah. So
2: they're clearly having more fun than their original. They're expanding the world. I mean, obviously they want to make it a franchise, so they're expanding the world. They're like doing something, right? Um, And with Evil Dead, it was it's kind of similar. Like they lean towards, but like it's a very leaning into because of Sam Raimi wanting to like just be like, all right, this is like the thing. And I think Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two as exists like as a sequel is so interesting because like you said it's like a requel like it's like i'm doubling down on this like okay i can tell you kind of the deal and i'm just gonna get into the deal and while shrek 2 was like okay i'm really expanding the world i'm doing whatever evil dead 2 wasn't about expanding the world it was it was pure fun it was pure expanding the genre more
1: It's so interesting the way that you talk about it, because like, yes, Shrek 2 was clearly setting up this stuff for a franchise, but the franchise after Shrek 2, I think pretty much everyone agrees is much, much worse. And so that's, I think, part of why Shrek became a meme of like, oh, they're going to keep making Shrek movies. Whereas Evil Dead 2 was like very much the way you guys talk about this, like reimagining, like a requel of the first movie. And so it like, Evil Dead 2 did, I feel like, so much more setting up the franchise than Shrek 2 does. I think that Shrek 2,
0: the way it expands its world in a lot of ways, is not so much to facilitate a franchise. Obviously, it did, and I'm sure that was part of the intent, but I also think it is meant to facilitate like theming and story, more importantly, and that is where it dedicates such a huge amount of its energy, whereas the requel element of Evil Dead 2, in my opinion, it's about the facilitation of story insofar as the story is to carry the tone of the movie, and that is the key element of Evil Dead as a sequel. Rebuilds the movie tonally, what this series is going to be about, and what this movie is going to be about is that campy horror like comedy fun
2: it just did so much for genre like I uh, like it wasn't yeah. so much about like it's for genre like it did so much like
0: it's not trying to to facilitate just the story of that one individual movie yeah. whereas I think a lot of what Shrek does in expanding is facilitating its own story and I think that's a you know I think that's huge points in different directions I sure. think it's huge points to Shrek I you know if you listen to episode one I talk about how a sequel expands the world and Meaningful ways is really important to me in being an effective sequel, and there are—I've got to say—there are maybe few movies that do that better than Trek Two. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we'll, I, we'll get into I, it.
2: I, I'm <laughs> so interested. I think, I think we should vote. I was going to say, I think, I think it's it's time.
0: Yeah. So I guess we we get into get into voting. Do we all have our our votes votes ready? I've locked mine in. I'm ready. So Matt, you go first. What'd you vote for? Maybe controversially, I am voting for. Shrek 2.
1: What? Okay, let's get into it. I also voted for Shrek 2. Jake, how about you?
0: I I voted Evil Dead. I think I was very much a a little bit of a toss up. But in a lot of ways, what it came down to, it comes down to that element that we talked to at the end of what it does in terms of establishing world. I think establishing genre, I think establishing tone is super important. But I've got to keep myself philosophically consistent. I said (laughs) what I think makes a good sequel already, baby. Got to stick to it. With that, um, I actually want to want to pick up and say that I may have just cast myself a death sentence by voting for Shrek 2, because on the other side of this bracket, I pitched (laughs) Godfather Part 2. And um, Jake, Jake doesn't. I don't know. We'll get into it. I I think he doesn't like this movie. I'm not sure. I have no idea. And I'm very afraid. (laughs) However, Godfather Part II is Francis Ford Coppola's epic, released in 1974. It follows the parallel stories of father and son, that being Michael Corleone in 1958 as he's trying to manage his family's criminal empire as cracks begin to show in it, especially coming from his own family. Meanwhile, it runs the story of the father in 1917 as Vito immigrates to America upon the killing of his mother, father and brother. And ends up in a life of crime, in some senses, on circumstance, in some senses, on opportunity. As far as why I picked this movie, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, what it comes down to is the first film establishes such a phenomenal emotional core with Vito and Michael. And this movie takes that relationship, despite, spoilers, Vito being dead, and manages to evolve on that relationship on so many themes the first movie establishes. I think in so many ways, this is a modern day epic. The scope is, is massive. I think these movies are so fantastic. It's an opera. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a criminal opera. That is what this movie is.
1: So much so that it has an intermission. It does
0: have an intermission. Yes. Literally, that is what this story is. I think it is fucking incredible. Full disclosure, I do like gangster movies, but I think this one sets itself apart in so many fantastic ways. Many of them, you know, like fellows get so much praise. It is the story of Henry Hill. Like it's a retelling of the story of a real person of the book of the novel wise guy. Mm. Sure, this is a novel adaptation as well, but it's a fictional story because it is meant to hit that grand scope. Um, and
1: I think it just does it so well. So uh, your guys' impressions. Yeah, I can give my thoughts. I had never really seen the Godfather movies before. And for this in preparation, I watched the first one and the second one. Uh, on back to back days, not back to back, because I don't have six hours to spare on two. You don't minutes. have six hours, yeah. You yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. <laughs> oh God, I am, I am done. <laughs> I'm going to my, my
2: my heart's on the line here.
1: <laughs> I I, I want to wait to get into my real discussion because most of my discussion is in comparison. Sure,
2: I do want to like thank Matthew for picking this, just because like this is a film like I've seen once prior before, and I hadn't seen in a long time, and I think watching it in a new light definitely made me like see it in like a different light with that being said i'm going to introduce my film and then we'll get into the comparisons i picked dawn of the planet of the apes 2014 directed by matt reeves just as a quick side note, this made me even more excited about the upcoming batman uh what, is, what a strange career matt reeves is having um but like yeah. it's, it's pretty exciting um so yeah this is 10 years First one, ten, 10 years after Rise, you know, uh Simeon Flu wiped out much of the world's people. Um, so, Caesar by Andy circus a fantastical mocap performance, and then his ever growing band of followers have established a colony just outside of San Francisco in the woods. But meanwhile, a small band of survivors emerges, which forces Caesar as leader to grapple with the dual challenges of protecting his people, but also re-establishing a relationship with the remaining human population, which is something Caesar secretly wants to do. And is like battling with. So that's that film. I chose it because I just feel like, as sequels goes, this is just one that is just such a clear improvement on the first, and and has like it's it's very like cinematic, bringing something back because you know this is they're all prequels to what was the iconic Planet of the Apes franchise, not the awful Mark Wahlberg remake. Scratch that.
0: <laughs> Tim Burton
2: also, I believe, didn't he direct it? Yeah, Tim Burton. Yeah, just let's. That's so wild. Make it stop. <laughs> just like, make it stop. Shoot it dead. Shoot it dead. Anyway, um yeah, I, I just think being being bold and like you know doing like such an iconic like, thing, and and then also like having it be like a prequel, not just like remaking the thing and trying to tell like that kind of a pre story of it. And it's, it again, it's just such a clear to me. It feels like such a clear improvement of the world. I could talk a little bit more about it, but I'll, I'll throw it to you guys for kind of your thoughts on uh, first impressions watching.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll go for it. I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed this movie overall. I had seen it before. I think it was really interesting rewatching it in context for this show because I knew it was going to be up against the Godfather part two. I do think you see a lot of I, probably speaking to your guys' similarities. We're going to get to when we start comparing them. There are some interesting parallel themes, which I don't think anyone would expect mm-hmm. with these two movies. Yeah, Definitely. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think one of the interesting recontextualizations this movie has similar to Shrek that has been taken by the Internet and memed is that's happened with these movies for some reason as well. I don't know why on earth that happened, um, but I'm here for the ride, baby, and ape strong together. <laughs>
2: I, think, I, I think it's way, way less than Shrek is. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I just think
0: it's it's interesting that that uh, the meme culture has has grabbed on to
2: some of this movie. Whenever James Franco just has his hands in anything, even though he's not directly in this one, you know, it's just stuff happens. And <laughs> what I want to say about this movie, because I saw it
1: when it first came out and was in theaters, I saw it. Mm-hmm what hit me so hard this time. And I think it's because of like our current historic, you know, situation in the world with the COVID-19 pandemic, the pandemic storyline in this movie hits so much harder now than it did when I first saw it. Like I, the first time I saw this movie, it totally blew past me. I like didn't understand. I didn't get the significance. I didn't get like really why they would be so afraid. And like, To fully understand the one character Carver is so much more sympathetic in my second watch of this movie in such a weird, bizarre way. Like, no, I get, I I think. He's very sympathetic in his fear. His actions are pretty terrible. Also,
0: my guy, my guy, a quick interjection. A quick interjection on Carver. I feel like that dude is the type of guy to call COVID the China virus and say it was made by Chinese Uh, scientists. I have no... Don't get any more sympathy. I think I got more angry at him. He's a Trump reporter. Post-virus? Like he is the man i'm he living is, in. i am living in COVID 19 so right now and i think of it yeah i'm just saying i dis- that's wild that
1: that blows my mind go ahead sorry
2: I, to, I, interrupt. I to agree with matthew on that but I, I see where alice is coming from and i do have a point about it but alice please finish your thought
1: in, in my mind he is a man who is so burned by the virus that he refuses to trust an ape which like granted pretty racist yeah, a well, lot like, like a Republican
0: like- <laughs> refusing to trust Chinese people in this country yeah. because they believe the virus uh, originated in the Chinese
2: lab. Just like, well, I mean, just to bring it back to kind of like the characters, but just like, I mean, Carver is... The- <laughs> Sorry. I no, you're, you're good. I mean, it, it's, it's true. Uh, Carver is like also like Koba. Koba was too burned by the humans as like the villain like here and just cannot trust human.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish. I, I that just blew my mind because um, I literally have it in my notes. These thoughts about Carver in new context
1: because of COVID. Well, it's so funny. Like this movie really does have a different context now than it used to. The, both of these movies, I want to get into the comparison because that's where I think these movies both really shine. So Godfather Part 2 is the sequel, the like passing the torch of His father's empire and simultaneously showing how he built what their family had, right? Versus Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is Caesar running his empire. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is Godfather Part One. And I think it's so fascinating to look at the stories in like the context of like what they are compared to each other. It's, I just think that's fascinating.
2: A strong part of Godfather is kind of analyzing that father like son kind of dynamic, but like in a way where it's like you're giving flash. Like it literally is a prequel and a sequel in the same movie, which is fantastic. Like they do do a great job weaving that story. But with Dawn of the Planet Apes, like it's in real time. Like you don't get like flashbacks, whatever, but you get the sow seeds of like the apes are starting a civilization on the up, and the humans are kind of on the down, and like that's how like you know, that's just how like those generations and those kind of things are like swaps. So like, yeah, there are similarities. I think Godfather benefits from those like flashbacks and kind of like interwoven story in that way from the first one. Um, but yeah, I see what you mean, Alex.
0: A fun fact for anyone unaware is it was, I believe as the script was being written for Godfather part two prior to the release of um, the first one is the working title was actually the death of Michael Corleone. Vito's story is very much meant as supplementary mm-hmm. to Michael's story that you see that everything Vito does is being done for being done for his family as far as like getting into crime, as far as like trying to make it in America as an immigrant, which a side note, I would never expect parallels between Donald Plant of the Apes and Godfather in terms of like identitarian politics, right? Yeah, um, yeah. They have like very different things to say on it, um, which is super fascinating. Yeah.
2: They're both very political movies. They're both like very like fantastic. I forgot how heavy handed like some of like the stuff Matt Reeves did with Planet of the Apes. Like it, it, that franchise in general. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's the sci fi reflecting on.
0: I mean, science fiction. Yeah. This is a close opinion opinion of mine. I love science fiction. I read a lot of it in so many ways is literally the perfect avenue for Political critique. There is such a rich history of political critique in science fiction, mm-hmm. um, and I do think that that is at the heart. Uh, well, I, I haven't seen um, the original Planet of the Apes movies in a very long time. I oh, thought you were going to say in general. <laughs> um, I do think that that is like a a
1: really pertinent element. I think what Dawn of the Planet of the Apes does so well, which most post-apocalyptic movies fail at, is they make both sides truly valid like the humans in Dawn of Plan the Apes are just trying to rebuild they're trying to like get any semblance of what they once had versus the apes are building and are trying to keep what they've built right and i think most most post apocalyptic stories really i think generally are like good versus evil, like this is the right type of society versus the wrong type of society. And I, I think I, I too love science fiction and I know I, I tend to oversimplify, but uh, I think that's just something that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes does really well.
2: Kind of going off that and something I really wanted to like take note in, for me, Dawn of the Planet of Apes, like I feel like almost almost all characters, fuck Carver, I'm on the fuck Carver train, but <laughs> all, all all characters are legitimately, almost all are legitimately motivated or seemingly legitimately motivated or at least they feel like sure. they are in their world. They genuinely feel that way. Like also Gary Oldman, like props to his performance and stuff. Give him a megaphone. So good. You can do whatever. <laughs> but um, I think comparing this to the Godfathers characters and a mafia movie, like a gangster movie um, on fighting is interesting because like for us, like we want to watch sympathetic characters or like, you know, when you have a protagonist, they have, like there's some level of sympathy empathy that we have to feel like when we're like watching them to, to a certain degree. To a certain degree. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like when you're watching like a story about a killer and mobsters and whatever, we're still almost rooting for like, we're still wanting the success of like the Godfather and the and son and all stuff in that family in a way. But in, in Dawn of the Planet Apes, like we can see again, like all the motivations, like we can see how they view each other as right. Whereas the Godfather is like, yeah, we kind of know that this is probably wrong, but we're view- like, we're rooting for it anyway.
1: I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think. I yeah, think I don't what, think I um, agree with it at all. <laughs> what, what both movies do really, really well is they show the kind of like delusional thinking that both Michael and Caesar have where Caesar thinks that peace is possible if we just avoid conflict. Whereas Michael keeps saying, I'm going to get us out. I'm going to get us legitimate. We're going to be legitimate one day. And it, like none of his actions lead towards that, right? All of Michael's actions tear down the legitimacy of his family and tear his family apart. Ultimately, I, th- I think it's so interesting the way that these movies match up because they're both about these delusional leaders trying their best and failing. Yeah.
0: And I, I think that in a lot of ways, this gets to Alex's earlier point. I don't think the, the parallels are quite, quite as close to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes being Godfather part one, but I definitely like, understand where the comparison comes from. I think we get to see, you know, we're not necessarily talking about war for the planet of the apes. However, that is where you start to see the, the death of an ideology or the, um, some of these other thematic elements
1: you start, you see in Godfather part Mm two. I I also want to talk about in symmetry between the movies, like they both end. Well, so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes starts and ends on shots of Caesar's eyes. And like, they're very different, but Godfather part two also ends on Michael's face and his eyes. Yeah. And I think it's such a fascinating thing. Caesar is, this is what I've tried to avoid, look at what I've wrought. And this is what my people are designed to. Whereas Michael is, Michael is like a hardened resolution versus Caesar is like a sad acceptance. And I think they're like slightly different, but they mean very different things. Yeah. I think just talking,
0: ending sequences, something I want to highlight about The Godfather, just because I think it's particularly powerful. Is you have that flashback, not quite to Vito's time, but taking place just before the first movie, and I think that you know you are very much meant to get this feeling of like this this feeling of this realization that oh my god, half the people in this shot are dead. Yeah, Sonny is dead. Fredo is dead. He house. You know her. His sister's husband is dead. Vito is dead. Um, the uh, Corleone family bodyguard is dead. I think that that is really, really powerful, and that that like flashback is so much context for that final scene with Michael as he you know sits
1: quietly on a bench, he was alone then and he even though he's like accepted his family, he's alone now yeah right like I think that's it's so beautiful the way that it it is written
2: the just the third act in general of Godfather was pretty great it's it's pretty phenomenal. it's a great third act i I do think it slows in some parts, but on that kind of note to ease kind of Matthew and kind of reveal my hand a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I, he, I want to, I want to interject
0: literally when we pitch, when we pitched our movies and started forming this bracket, when I, I expected, because I love the Godfather part two, I I'm aware that there's generally pretty good, um, public reception about it as well. When I said it and Jake just kind of went like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, I was like, Oh my God, wait a minute. Does Jake hate this movie? (laughs) A, a, a bit more context is uh, Jake has a bone to pick with uh, certain film uh, makers who make a lot of these um, gangster movies. Uh, so I know there's additional mythos yeah. there. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I'll get so. to it. I'll get
2: to it. Okay. To ease your mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll build up. but I've literally been like, making Matthew sweat this over and over and over
0: menacing vibrations. Um, they
2: don't, they don't really make films like this anymore. Um, it's, it's a specific feeling where, you know, they weren't afraid to linger in a moment and in surroundings and have this kind of background. Obviously you have directors as Matthews hinting towards like the awful Martin Scorsese. Uh, he's not actually awful. He's just a bitter hypocrite. And like, I love a lot of his movies, but like, come on, dude, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, But audience has shifted away from this kind of cinema, which is like super, super interesting. The reason why I've like felt that kind of way is I think it's a great sequel. I think the original is better.
0: That is so fascinating.
2: Why? It's it's hard because it feels more personal preference than anything. Um, it's I, I think I like the emotion. I like the kind of buildup of the story without knowing some of the context. Like I'm peeling back, and I feel like this film lingers in certain moments just a little bit too much. Where I just feel like I don't really care about this. Um, I know it gives context. I know it's supposed to. And typically, I do love it. And again, I think it's a very good. Fi- like I do like Godfather Part Two. I just prefer the first one more. And if we're doing a sequel showdown where we're talking about like the sequels are better, I just think the first one is better in setting up like just kind of just, I don't know, this, this, this life and this, this really interesting thing. It's, I think, I just feel like the second one is more supplementary where it's like, Oh, I cool. This is cool that I know this.
1: I definitely get where you're coming from. I think for me, it comes down to when you have a movie that jumps around in time where it, you know, goes back in time and like it it shows parallel stories. I think that can be very powerful and it can be a really effective tool. I think when a movie is three and a half hours long, it, in my mind, drags a little bit. and so i think I think I agree to a point where maybe it's also me liking current movies more than old movies. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: for me, three hours is a long time. And I feel like,
2: I don't mind that. I, I don't mind length of movies. That's, like, like that's definitely not, I just think that their choices were just a little bit like.
1: I, I think for me, I, I'm explaining why I also like the first Godfather more than the second one. Not to say that I, I don't like the second one. I think I did like it. I do have to say in terms of um, an important scoring criteria that I have are, how does my fiance feel about these movies? And Marina loves Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Marina hates The Godfather. She was bored to tears, and we had to stop watching the I, I first one. I guess there's one. not
0: even, a, not no, even no. a
1: point
2: for me to continue no, this conversation. I, I, truthfully,
1: <laughs> like, truthfully, truthfully, I still don't know which way I'm going to vote.
2: Uh, actually, I, I want to say same. I, I feel like it's going to
0: turn into me like screaming into the void, and then just, you know.
2: <laughs> okay, my whole thing is that, like, I think my whole thing about it is that if we're doing sequel like showdown, if we're comparing these two, I just think that Donald Planet is as a sequel is much better. Like that, that's, and it's probably because I prefer the God, like the first Godfather, like a little more, whatever, as a film, like as a whole film, maybe like the Godfather part two is better, but as a sequel, I just think it just expands so much more for me.
0: So to speak to the Godfather part two as a sequel, I think that there is such an incredible intertextual relationship between the two films that you have the first film and the way it establishes the world you're going to be living in that sets up this, you know, criminal opera. You then have the second film. There are beats that are matched for the purposes of not just drawing parallels between Vito's story and Michael's story, but between Godfather part two and Godfather part one, you know, you have the beginning opening on these celebrations in each one with his sister's wedding in the first, with Michael's son's communion in the second, you have the midway point murders of, um, Salazzo and the NYPD chief in the first one compared to Fenucci's murder. Like, And you can take the ways each of these match up with each other and look at how all of them are either escalating themes that were seen in the first. And it's an intentional relationship. It is creating like a new circumstance around it. For example, looking at the meeting um, between the five families in the first movie. This is, you know, small peanuts. It's major crime families compared to the meeting scene in the second. They are shot in very parallel ways intentionally. Which is corrupt industrialists, you know, taking basically taking over a foreign uh, country for all intents and purposes until Fidel shows up. That is a recontextualization of that meeting scene with like such a powerful escalation of what the underlying themes are. You know, Michael saying at the end of Godfather one that, oh, you know, I mean, my father was in charge of people a lot like a senator or governor calling back to his family's plans of him one day being a senator or governor and then recontextualizing it in the second film with this meeting scene where he's literally like discussing with the head of a state like there is so, and there's so many examples of that. That is all built on that intertextual connection. That is all built on like what the Godfather two is, how it innovates on. And most importantly, how it expands the scope of the first movie in such a powerful way. And, I get that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is doing that because you get to see much more full-fledged uh, context between societal clashes, which is a major theme that runs through the Planet of the Apes movies. But I, I just think it is so much more shallow than the richness you get from Godfather. And don't get me wrong, I think it's done well in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I just don't think it's done as well.
2: Do you? Do you think? And and, and that makes sense. That makes complete sense to me. But do you? Do you think that like you just you may prefer like the it, it, because with Dawn of, the of Apes, it feels more like broad, like you can see like society versus society. But with Godfather, it's a little bit peeled back. Like it fe- it feels like it's broad, but it is just examining a family, and, and like that kind of like like so it's smaller scale in that way. Where it's like, oh, I I'm getting it's almost like this is almost like I, I hesitate to say this, but like a slice of life film where it's like this is a slice of life, like you know what I mean? A, a
0: dark slice of life. Um, that's a, that's a genre I would eat up. Uh, send me recommendations.
2: <laughs> but like yeah, like I feel like this is way more specific.
1: I have to say there's a conversation that we're shying away from that I think is very important to have and it's the fact that and I, this is a point for the Godfather Part 2. Don of the Planet of the Apes is afraid to show monkey penis and Godfather Part 2 shows baby Fredo's penis uh, right in that flashback scene and I think that is an important note just on the dick ratio. You want to see baby penis. You want you're pro... I don't want to, but it's the fact that Dawn of the Plan of the Apes... Dawn of the Plan of the Apes, a movie that is so strong in its
2: ideals, is scared to show monkey penis? Yeah, but it shows so much feet. How much feet does Godfather Part 2 show? Tarantino straight jacking <laughs> off to this movie. <laughs> so much feet. So much feet. And also... I'm a tweet at him. <laughs> Are we ready? I, 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 I would want to maybe talk about, like the villains and stuff or like what we feel like is villain or like antagonist sure. or like whatever. But I just thought that like with each of these, the villains are like just basically like ev- almost everyone. Like there's clearly people who are viewed in like certain lights. Um But if you have people like Koba and Gary Oldman's character, which I don't remember his actual name. Dreyfus. Dreyfus. Which is a fun reference. Um, that's a fun right? Re- yeah. <laughs> I, that's cool. Um... <laughs> See, points to Don. No. Um, so. Koba is such an interesting villain in Dawn of the Plane of the Apes because he
1: he represents what, what Caesar could have been in a lot of ways. Like he is he's the other, like he's another experimented on. I think he's a great foil. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it, it's, it's a really smart writing of a villain. Especially Seapold. You clearly see at the beginning of the movie how grateful Koba is to Caesar and how much Koba loves Caesar. And then that turn partway through the movie when it, it stops becoming about what's right for the apes and it's about what's right for coba which they very plainly Aww. say yeah but I, it's 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 pretty well written i think um we also we haven't gotten into performances at all al pacino Jeez. is fantastic Phenomenal. and yeah. in a very similar way andy circus breathes life into dawn of Plain the apes in such and,
0: a- and the mocap animators uh, also
2: Everyone <laughs> should give acting nominations to the people who watched Andy Circus in that suit and took him seriously. Acting across from him, <laughs> because watching him, it looks—it's a stupid movie. <laughs> a stupid
0: I'm gonna have to to look up those behind the scenes. They sound phenomenal. They,
2: they do. They do literally like a cut screen where it's like you see Andy Circus and like there, and Gary Oldman's just. Fucking acting it up, but like Andy Circus is like cuddled the <laughs> corner, like meh, and he has like little teeth too. He put little like fangs in, That's so like, so
1: vampire, hard. like the plastic vampire fangs. Yes. That's fantastic. Another thing, just another thing about Planet of the Apes: the fact that the apes looked so real and so good, and comp- and like still had so much raw emotion in their facial expressions, and comparing that to. The recent Lion King, the, the quote unquote live action Lion King. It's so sad.
0: I, I, I want to add to that comment. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes came out in 2014. Lion King came out in 2019 and cost like a hundred million more dollars to make. And so much of it, I don't want to say looks like dog shit because like it does have beautiful landscapes. It does have very talented animators. But the characters are so stiff and you don't get that in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You get incredibly expressive. What are, you know, mo CG characters? And that is huge credit to the production team on Dawn of the Planet we of the Apes. We talked
2: about the endings, like, you know, with the shots of the close-up of the eyes, like, you got just as much emotion out of Caesar as you did from fucking Al Pacino as Corleone. Like, what? Like, that's awesome. That's fantastic.
0: With that, I do want to make... One last comment to any of the undecided uh, decided voters and maybe for you out in the audience. On one side, we've got Coppola's magnum opus in a lot of ways. This grand criminal opera. On the other side, we have the embodiment of the return to monkey meme. And you know what it comes down to? I'm not necessarily trying to win you over to the godfather with that statement. But if you want to return to monkey, you think anarcho-primitivism is the correct form of governance. You know which way you've got to vote.
2: Do you do you care? Do you care about the ape cinematic universe? Do you care about Ape Genius? Do you care about <laughs> the ape? Uh, ape, ape,
0: ape. <laughs> the ape featuring uh, Dave Franco is in a lot of ways a prequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, um, where Dave Franco plays, I believe, a comedian who ha- has like some kind of weird split personality thing, and there's a guy in a gorilla costume that is like his inner consciousness or something.
2: You know, we went to college or whatever, he was political economy, philosophy, or whatever. He wrote all these, you know, thought pieces, whatever. He wrote an essay on <laughs> that mentioned Ape Genius and the Ape and like all this. like come on, like
0: Yeah, it's, don't it's, don't say I d I, I don't have any background academically in movies, you too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you, you should, I've got creds. You should know, you should know. I'm just kidding. The Ape Cinematic Universe, very tempting.
0: Okay, fair, fair. Maybe you won me over with that. The ape, the, we, we didn't talk at all about the ape as a prequel and what that means for this movie. Unfortunate, unfortunate. And it's, uh, it's James Franco also. I, yeah, I said Dave Franco earlier. Order. I'm correcting myself. I want to give, uh, I guess, praise. Um, I don't, I,
2: yeah. To, I'm going to write, I'm going to write my answer. I'll go first.
0: Go for it, Jake.
2: I voted Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Matthew. I voted...
0: Godfather Part
1: 2, as you may expect. So it all comes down to me. I voted. I voted for Godfather Part (sighs) 2.
2: Took fat L's on today's episode, boys. Fat L's.
1: I'm sorry to say that, Jake. To me, it came down to the ways that it built upon the character. Godfather part one is in itself an opera, a beautiful story, but what it really is is the rise of Michael and Godfather part two is ultimately a better character study of what Michael becomes.
2: That's fair. It's honestly, this isn't a bad pick. (laughs) I, I I think that uh,
0: Jake is, um, is pretty okay with it. He, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, not a bad pick, Meanwhile, I think I got so much more invested what I thought this this conversation meant. My heart is beating so fast because I was so nervous. I have no idea why, because who wins doesn't really matter.
2: They, it, it matters. That's how I felt about it. <laughs> I, I, took, I took fat out. I, no, none of my films have advanced. Well, you only had two. None. I, I am out. Hey, that's, fine.
0: that's fine. I guess with that... We've got some great movies advancing coming at you in part three of the sequel showdown. We've got Dark Knight versus Creed, which should be a really exciting matchup. And then um, from the advancing from this side of the bracket you just heard today, we've got Shrek 2 and The Godfather Part 2, um, which are two movies I'm not sure, not sure anybody has um, ever talked about in the same context. And I'll be careful. I hope Jake doesn't spite vote against me. I'm not but I, I think that's an uphill battle.
2: I, I brought, no, genuinely, I think I, I, I'm, I'm content. I'm content. It'll be exciting. It'll be exciting doing the comparisons. I'm looking forward to it. Alright. I'm Alex.
1: <laughs> I'm not Alex. I'm Matthew. Uh, Jake, Jake,
0: you we are the time. Tough Cut Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh we yeah, are the Tough Cut Podcast. Um follow us on all the socials at Tough uh at the Tough not the Jesus, I'm gonna keep messing this up. Follow us on all the socials at Tough Cut Pod, that is Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at Tough Cut Pod.
1: Yeah. And also, hey, yeah, tell us tell us what you think. If you agree with our choices, if you disagree with our choices, uh, if you had movies that should have been in this bracket that weren't, let us know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you want to return to Monkey, let us know in the comments. Don't forget to rate the show if you enjoyed. Leave comments.
2: Refer it to your friends if you really liked it. Um, make me feel better. Make me feel better about my life from today's episode. Um, that's, that's your goal as an audience. I just I, I need reassurance that I'm, I'm not broken inside. Thank you so
0: much for listening. We're the Tough Cut. Find out next time what's going to make the cut. That was awful. <laughs>